You're listening to Once, episode 244, Ruby Slippers. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Jacqueline. And I want to say up front, I think Jeremy and Aaron did a fantastic (laughs) job with the initial reactions without me. Well, thanks. I enjoyed it. Even though I hadn't watched the episode yet, I wanted to listen to the initial reactions while I was driving literally across Death Valley. (laughs) going from Las Vegas to San Diego. That's why I couldn't be on the podcast this week and why the schedule has been all crazy because I've been traveling and such. But big thanks to Aaron and Jeremy for filling in. And I think they did a fantastic job worthy of (laughs) great applause. Thank you. Round of applause for them. Well, thank you guys. And our show notes for this episode will be at oncepodcast.com slash 244 in case you want to continue this conversation or uh, share this episode out with your family and friends. And I'm glad to be back to the podcast for our full discussions, uh, literally almost right off the plane that we're recording this. But I want to start this conversation addressing the elephant in the room, the the 800-pound munchkin, (laughs) the issue on everyone's mind about this episode, and it may even be the sole reason that you're listening to this podcast episode. This statement and what I'm about to say represents my views alone and does not necessarily reflect the views of my co-hosts, staff, or affiliates, or those of Disney, ABC Studios, or any of their staff and affiliates. Once Upon a Time has delved into numerous moral issues, which we have often addressed. These include rape, idolatry, murder, abuse, adultery, fornication, mistreatment of the unborn, and more. They have also addressed positive moral issues like love, commitment, family, adoption, sanctity of life, forgiveness, and repentance. It has been very easy to address such positive and negative issues because most of the community generally agrees with or respects the opinions we have shared. When we hosted our discussions of Quite a Common Fairy from Season 3, we chose respectful silence on the ambiguous feelings from Mulan. We respect the community and those with deeply held opposing beliefs and thought silence was the best way to maintain that respect. But for being respectfully silent, we received numerous threats, malicious name-calling, hateful personal attacks, and judgmentally ended relationships all in the name of tolerance, for our not saying anything. Today, I know I'm opening myself to another barrage of such attacks. In the past couple years, we have been open to more discussion about these and other moral issues, even when they have been small asides. Now, homosexuality is core to this episode, and it has no ambiguity whatsoever. Eddie Kitsis Adam Horowitz, Jane Espenson, and the other writers of Once Upon a Time have frequently stated clear agendas, including support for demonstration of and a desire to portray homosexuality in a particular way. It's no secret that I'm a Christian. I build my thinking on the written word of God, the Bible, which clearly teaches to save sex for marriage and that marriage was created by God to be between one man and one woman for life. At the same time, The Bible is also quite clear that my own sins of pride, selfishness, lust, and and many more 
are also rebellion against God's authority, and thus make me equally worthy of God's judgment, just as if I had committed the most heinous crimes we can imagine. It's only by the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ and not my own actions that I can have grace and be given mercy from the eternal punishment that I fully deserve. I can't point my fingers or, or, quote, cast stones, unquote, because I am just as guilty as everyone else of rebelling against God, our Creator. When a bunch of men wanted to stone a harlot to death, Jesus himself said in the New Testament, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I am not without sin. So I have no right to cast stones of condemnation. In fact, the Bible says Christians are to lovingly judge each other, but leave the unrepentant for God to judge and condemn. And it grieves me to see some Christians mess that up and forget the judgment they equally deserve, if not for Christ. So to my fellow Christians, I ask that you let your light shine and show the world you belong to Jesus Christ by your love while you seek to be salt, not poison, to the world, reminding ourselves and others that there is hope and salvation in the real-life hero and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have previously avoided sharing opinions on the brief moments of homosexuality because I couldn't do it appropriately without being totally authentic about my faith, as I am right now. And I didn't feel like our TV show fan podcast was a place to be that preachy, as some might call it. But the issue is now clearly in the foreground, and I know you and the rest of our audience are closely watching us. And I would rather be hated for being authentic and vulnerable than loved for trying to appease others. Everyone has a set of beliefs that affect how they view the world around them their worldview, as we call it. Some people approach subjects merely consistent with their own worldviews, and some people approach subjects with an agenda to make others accept such worldviews. What bothers me about this episode of Once Upon a Time is not primarily the fact that they had a homosexual relationship. After all, the show is trying to represent all views, no matter how much of a minority, except for, interestingly, Christianity, and give everyone a hero with whom they can relate, including the small portion of viewers who have chosen a homosexual lifestyle. But what bothers me is how much the writers went out of their way to tell this story and glorify the relationship seemingly simply to include it as a token item and make it seem normal. If the writers had glorified something against your own worldview, I think you would and perhaps have been equally disappointed. Look at how many people lashed out against Once Upon a Time when Neil an icon of Rumpelstiltskin's hope, was killed for the sake of, quote, bold TV, unquote. Jeremy and Jacqueline are remaining silent on this position at my request, because I want to be clear that what I'm saying is my own opinion. So if you wish to initiate a barrage of hateful and intolerant attacks, please do not direct them toward my co-hosts, staff, or affiliates. If you want to continue the conversation on this issue, I invite you to email me directly, Daniel at oncepodcast.com. It goes directly to me, no one else. And it's not filtered or anything like that. This is the hardest thing I've had to do with this podcast. And it has caused an enormous amount of stress over the past weeks, even while I was traveling for business. I am still a fan of Once Upon a Time, and I must let the writers tell the story their way with whatever agendas and worldviews they have. And I am committed to seeing this podcast through to the end of the show I do still enjoy. 
So thank you for letting me explain. And if you do wish to continue hearing our in-depth discussions, commentary, and theories we've been delivering for nearly five years, then we'll be happy to have you with us on this journey. But if my views suddenly shatter your respect for us, then I won't be offended if you decide to stop listening, supporting, or being part of our community. For a probably outdated list of other Once Upon a Time podcasts, please visit oncepodcast.com slash more podcasts. With this lengthy explanation out of the way, the rest of this episode's discussion will address the facts of the storylines and not the opinions on the morality or homosexuality. So now let's start our discussion of this episode from the past when Ruby and Mulan meet Dorothy and little Toto too. <laughs> I, I do laugh at this. and I noticed I'm not the only one who made this note. <laughs> Some time ago... Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like the writers just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because this one should be placeable on a timeline, one would think, but you don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to risk that at this point. Yeah, they must look at our timeline and see where can we fit this in. Ah, uh, we can't. We'll just <laughs> we'll just let them figure it out on their own. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be that long ago. I no. mean, because Ruby and Mulan met during the Camelot arc, during the present day Camelot arc. And then they went off together to find Ruby's pack. Yeah, it shouldn't be more than a few weeks at most. And maybe not even that, honestly. Right. <laughs> but what I found humorous, and just to give everyone who doesn't listen to the spoilers kind of an indication of what we deal with on a week to week basis. This scene was released as a sneak peek. And originally, it did not say some time ago. It said many years ago. Oh. <laughs> well, I am very glad they took that out. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> now that the episode has aired, if you would like to go over to the forums and look at our sneak peek threat, you can see me having a meltdown. <laughs> can you imagine if that's how it had gone to air? <laughs> I quit podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I loved that they made reference to a lot of singing. <laughs> yeah. I like that they made reference to actually reading a book about something that happened in one of these other realms in our world. Mm -hmm. It's not the first time, after all, because uh, something about Jefferson, I remember back in season two, Yeah, there was um, David, I think, had said that he heard about it in school, or maybe it was Henry heard about it. Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> and Emma referred to the Mulan movie, and she said it was a Oh, that's a good right. Movie. I forgot about that. <laughs> but how exactly are these two in Oz? I think it is... I don't know. <laughs> it's it's you have to have a door. We saw that with Robin Hood back in four seventeen, um, Heart of Gold. Well, Rumpel provided him a door. Yeah, it is a lot easier to travel between magical realms than to travel between non magical and our realm. So it could have been a door. It could have been Jefferson. It could have been someone else with a hat. I think it could have been a number of things. Could have been a fedora. Yeah. <laughs> Just take you to places of adventure. <laughs> That's how Carmen Sandiego got around and stole all that stuff. Which Indiana Jones had to then go and steal back because he said, this belongs in a museum. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
when pop culture icons collide <laughs> over a fedora. <laughs> so it was really weird to see Ruby sniffing around while being a human, too. Like when we saw Granny do it in the episode Red Handed of season one, she was just walking around. She wasn't like sticking her nose up in the air going... <laughs> Ooh, that was some uh, that was some audible sniffing you just did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, can she smell her pack across realms? I mean, I will accept what of that, the night. <laughs> I will accept that maybe, maybe, maybe you can get to Oz from the Enchanted Forest by some heretofore unreferenced manner. But the idea that Ruby can smell her pack and says, hey, we need to go to a completely separate universe. I don't know how that works. Maybe it wasn't she smelled her way across realms. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. The kind of conversations we have these days. But maybe it wasn't that she could smell her way across, but it was she followed other clues. Like she heard from someone to say, oh, yeah, they went to Oz. So then she just knows, okay, I need to go to Oz. And when I'm in Oz, then I'll be able to smell them. Right. But was she was she feeling like she was close? Because it seemed like she was just, pardon, barking at Mulan <laughs> about not getting closer. And Mulan having said that a while ago that they were getting closer And I can't remember why she was so feverishly looking for them in the first place. Unless it was just like you do when you want family and belonging and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much why. She said she wanted to find her own people. But we got kind of an interesting maybe explanation from the Watcher who said that the writers really could have given this a good explanation. The Wicked Witch did have an army of wolves in the Oz books. In Once Upon a Time, Zelina could have captured them at some point. Hmm, That could have been kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, I like that thought. So Zelina does show up, though, to meet them. And I'm guessing, timeline-wise, this is probably... This tornado that brought Zelina was probably the actual tornado Regina used when she banished Zelina back to Oz. Yeah, which makes me curious how Dorothy knew it was the Wicked Witch. Because it's not like Zelina just went about in twisters during her reign of terror in Oz, I assume. Yeah, because after all, both Zelina and Dorothy came to Oz through a twister. Mm -hmm. But maybe Zelina's twister was green and Dorothy's was blue. Maybe. So they just know, avoid the green tornadoes. Do twisters come in gingham? (laughs) (laughs) I did like the way Zelina referenced Oz as an emerald-tinted dump. <laughs> She's obviously very fond of her homeland. Right. Her, her, uh, her castaway island, really. Uh, I liked that she picked up Toto in the basket. Oh, yeah. So canonical. That dog is cute, by the way. <laughs> I know I've been making lists all season long of the clothing I would like to have, but I would also like the dog. <laughs> Maybe it'll be auctioned off for charity. Oh my the show God. Is over. <laughs> There's something about that that sounds so cruel. <laughs> but, you know, someone's like, yeah, I'd put in a few dollars to try and get that dog. <laughs> when they get back together and then, uh, then Ruby and Dorothy start 
their little walk. Uh, and everybody starts going, wow, they have the same clothes and hair. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a similar family relationships and this once upon a time family tree thing. Because remember, I would say to Dorothy, don't be sad, Dorothy. Alice's family wanted her committed too. It's it's simply <laughs> what families do. Family is about commitment. So sometimes you have your family committed. Wow. <laughs> Children should be able to tell their parents if they get taken to a magical realm and make it back without worrying about being committed. Mm-hmm. I like the reference back to season one. I ate my boyfriend. It's not what she said, but <laughs> no, that's what she said in a different episode. I felt bad for her because it's like she seems to end up telling everybody she meets about killing her boyfriend. Hi, I'm Ruby. I'm a werewolf and I ate my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> It's just some disclosure, you know, right? <laughs> in case I get a little peckish, just stand away. <laughs> now, seeing this as the start of their relationship, I totally agree with Jeremy and Aaron in the initial reactions and apparently the rest of the entire world. This just seemed like things moved along very quickly. Look at the overall picture here. They go on this walk mm-hmm. and... Then they come back to their campfire and then Dorothy runs away. Yeah. This is, we're talking an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's a very short time period. And they weren't, they they had their laughs, but they spent part of that time kind of not too sure about each other. Or at least Dorothy was pretty standoffish to begin with. Right. Right. Snow and Charming had much more time than that <laughs> and ran into each other a lot more after that before a true love's kiss could work. There needs to be mulling and nets and scars and <laughs> <laughs> things like that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. We care about the relationships on this show, whether it be Snowing or Rumbell or Captain Swan or Outlaw Queen or Swanfire. Because we watch them slowly build up and play out over more than one episode. And we pointed this out a lot this week at the forums. This is becoming a bigger and bigger problem for the show. Um, As much fun as I am having with Hades and Zelina. Hashtag Zadies. (laughs) They fell in love over a bike ride. And the romantic feelings between, for instance, Guinevere and Lancelot were almost non-existent. It was just suddenly they were facing a cloud of darkness and then they kissed. (laughs) Well, when you put it like that, but (laughs) but yeah, at least with um, Zadie's, I felt that Zelina was desperate for someone to love her and would attach herself to anyone who seemed to. And Hades had been watching her for so long, he probably felt like he knew her, but didn't know he would feel that way when he met her in person. So I felt like even there, there was more, one side had more familiarity and the other side was more sort of established as being desperate. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a bike ride. Maybe it's something in the moonlight, except they are different worlds, so I don't know. Daniel mentioned Dorothy's story as being ripped from... Alice in Wonderland from our our wonderful Once Upon a Time in Wonderland that was so short-lived. But it's also mm-hmm. ripped from the Disney movie Return to Oz, um, in which Dorothy returns to Kansas and is very melancholy over leaving Oz and is actually sent to a mental institution for electroshock therapy. 
I have never seen that. I didn't realize oh, that was an actual thing. Daniel, movie night then, because I thought of that too. And that movie, it was so creepy. Yes. And I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there are a lot of euphemisms about this episode. And like how I feel like maybe they were trying too hard to fit things together in this episode to make this relationship work. Because after all, if they were going to do a lesbian relationship, they seem to have already set it up, or at least that direction, that it could have gone with Mulan and Ruby. So to bring mm. Dorothy into this almost seemed like they thought, oh, you know that phrase, friend of Dorothy, that has its origins from the original movie <laughs> and a lot of things about the, the positions and cultural ramifications of homosexuality back when the original where uh, one of the original Wizard of Oz movies was released. And um, Judy Garland and her being an icon for that movement. A lot of things there. It almost felt like they chose this storyline <laughs> in this way just because they realized, hey, this would be a clever way of fitting it together. And Mulan is there just for the ride. I, I, I'd heard people mention that that was a connection and I don't know, honestly, it's very <laughs> difficult to tell if that was intentional or if it's just the thing where they got the episode finished and went forehead smack. <laughs> like, they, maybe they didn't even think of that connection. I don't know. Unless one of them has said it. Often we comment on what writers were or we're not thinking, and it turns out they've said something on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And about the the quickness of this relationship between Ruby and Dorothy price of magic said, I don't buy this particular relationship. There was no chemistry and it just feels completely forced. Mulan is rendered completely useless and could be cut out completely without changing the story. For example, have Dorothy make the potion and that she needed the poppies. Hence why she and Ruby went to the field. Basically this was the neon flashing quote special episode quote, and I know that there were some things beforehand where Kitsis and Horowitz had said that a storyline like this would happen at some point, but they didn't want to make it a special episode for that storyline. But this episode did end up basically being a special episode for that storyline. Right. And I'm wondering, though, if it's partially because Mulan already has, in the movies anyway, or in the movie, an established love interest that's i don't know if you if canon is too strong of a word and obviously they don't really care much about what is canon and what isn't but maybe they just decided well let's go with characters that don't already have someone in people's minds the mulan factor is a huge part of why people may not have responded to this episode in the way that adam and eddie were hoping and I'll go into this a little bit more in a few minutes, but to come back to what Jeremy just said, while canon may not mean much to our group of writers, it probably means a lot to their bosses. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I mean Disney. Mm -hmm. A lot of people agree that Mulan was set up for a very long time to be a part of this relationship, whoever it ended up being with. And... People are wondering if Disney got on some sort of red phone and said, no, 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 no. Because in Mulan, the original movie, she does have a love interest in Shang. And then in the second movie, they do actually get together. And for those who don't know, there is a live action Mulan coming out in about two years. Yeah. 
And people this week have really been wondering if Disney saw the direction the show was going and said, you can't do that because we've got to sell our merchandise over Mm -hmm. the next few years. And we don't want people to be put off by what they've seen in your show. Mm -hmm. And that's why Dorothy literally fell out of the sky two episodes ago, (laughs) did absolutely nothing, and then suddenly is in a relationship with Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, and <laughs> and we might end up going to that other conversation you wanted to have. This is for those who were a fan of the Mulan-Aurora relationship or who wanted to see Mulan find her happy ending and find a relationship. Those fans <laughs> were then let down with this episode too yeah. because here was the setup. Uh, they did the setup already, and I'm sure many of the fans were hopeful of a certain end result and then the letdown uh, to those fans in this episode. But I think you're you're hitting on to a good point there that probably uh, they chose it because of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> then just sad Mulan again. <laughs> right, because Dorothy, even though she's in Oz and we've got her in the Wicked Witch and we even had the Scarecrow, I mean, she hasn't been doing anything that is distinctly Dorothy, even though she's apparently got the love of the people. She's I think literally just there for this episode. And yeah, a lot of people were just very upset that Mulan once again is just standing there witnessing all of this and doesn't play any kind of part. Right. So Mulan though does get to play the part of helping Ruby to think things through and uh, reference back to Mulan's supposedly being late. Um, And (laughs) I don't think Mulan was late because she said, oh, I was too late and referring to telling Aurora how Mulan felt about her. But the thing was, Aurora was already with Prince Philip and in a relationship with him, a committed relationship. And so she was way too late, like not just showed up a few minutes or a day late. She was years too late. Like by the time she met Aurora. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) It was already too late. So let's just talk about the field of poppies for a second. (laughs) They start to walk in, and I'm already kind of trying to figure out what she's talking about as Dorothy goes, this is Zelina's territory, which, what defines that? I'm not sure. I would think all of Oz was subject to Zelina if Zelina were present. But she stops Red from, I guess, tripping over a flower or something and putting herself to sleep. And says, "One careful, one sniff of that and we'll be snoozing all night. Then she picks one up and hands it to her. <laughs> I was oh, thinking, smells low. <laughs> that whole field scene was just hilarious. And I don't know that they intended it to be. Because from the poppy to suddenly Dorothy climbing on the back of Red and running away from a flying monkey. I mean, you just, you don't see that every day. <laughs> Right. And speaking of flying monkeys, you know who swoops in and rescues the podcast and lifts us up, not in a bad way, (laughs) but in a good way and lifts the podcast to better places. You know who swoops in and lifts us up and carries us off to Zelina? (laughs) Our wonderful heroes. So big thanks to Lisa Slack, David Newland, and we have a couple new heroes who have recently swooped in or or been dropped by a tornado in a good way. (laughs) Ashley Reed and Armando Trujillo. Thank you very much for your kind support of Once Podcast. 
We are very grateful for that. We could not do the podcast without you. And we now give special bonuses like bloopers, which there are going to be some great bloopers this week. Some bloopers <laughs> from uh, when Jeremy and Aaron did the initial reactions. So and many. The way that they communicated why you should become a hero to the podcast must have been so good because Ashley and Armando joined after hearing Jeremy and Aaron do that. So thank you very much. We have 32 heroes on Patreon right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast as well, please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. So let's get back to present day Underbrook. They bring Ruby back, so yes, we know Ruby is alive in the underworld. And but the way they knew that, though, did they not say she's breathing? Yeah. So yeah. do the dead in the underworld go about not breathing or even appearing to breathe? Good question, but we do know that <laughs> the breath of the living in the underworld is very valuable on the black market. True. They do everything else, though. I mean, yeah. how many people were sitting at grannies and later aunties having a bowl of soup or a roast rotisserie chicken? That's true. I wonder if they have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I wonder well, how they, they have get food toilet. into. How do they get yes. food into this? Or like, where do they get electricity? And do they have internet? And they even have to make sure that their food service establishments don't have contaminated water. Yeah, and do they have pesticides? And your questions are pointless. Oh, okay. Oh, Rumple, you scared me. <laughs> but meanwhile, Hades and Zelina start to discuss the fact that Ruby has come to town. And I think that Zelina is genuinely interested in not failing again. But at the same time, it seems that she also wants to cover up her past and hide the mistakes she's made. Hmm. I think I agree because she... And Regina seemed to have reached some sort of very small, limited understanding from that conversation in Granny's last week where, you know, Regina does say that, yes, yeah, she's trying to get information about Hades and Hades's weakness, but she's also showing sisterly concern. So I think Zelina wants to stay in that happy bubble, but she really doesn't want anyone else to know what she did. Right. And I guess what I didn't understand about this is, was she preparing to leave the underworld without her baby? Yeah, I think so. Huh. Because later on in the episode, it seems like that's what she was communicating, is that she realized if she stays, she'll just fail again. Well, that's true. She even clicked her heels once yeah. before they stopped her. If they'd been five seconds later, she'd have been gone. I did find it really funny that here's Hades, kind of the devil, but <laughs> not really. <laughs> You know, dude, you're kind of the devil. <laughs> and he's saying to Zelina, I'll give you everything you want, <laughs> which is a classic line from the devil. <laughs> he also wants to know if she wants chocolates, though. So <laughs> does the devil offer people chocolate? He might. <laughs> Why do you think dark chocolate and devil's food <laughs> that's made Good of point. what? Lots and lots of chocolate. What? Oh, yes, yes. I was thinking somehow, oppositely, I was thinking angel food. Is that the opposite? Is that light baking versus dark baking? Yeah. It's like like magic and dark magic. Light mm. magic makes white chocolate. Dark magic makes dark but chocolate. I really like dark chocolate. That's wow. unnatural. <laughs> I think that someday there will be someone 
powerful enough <laughs> who can wield the power of white chocolate and dark chocolate together mm. for good. Oh they man, make milk chocolate. <laughs> oh man, what did this conversation <laughs> just become? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to let that one stay in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag not a blooper. Hashtag no filter. <laughs> because this gives our audience a new perspective on white chocolate and dark chocolate. <laughs> but getting back to the actual episode. But what did you think about Zelina saying she did something to Ruby? This moment from Zelina once you watch the episode in its entirety and you reflect back on this scene, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because Zelina says something like, after what I did to her, implying Ruby, because Ruby is still the subject of this little tete-a-tete with Hades, but she didn't do anything to Ruby, and she has no idea that Ruby and Dorothy are going to be in a relationship. So Mm -hmm. why does she even think that she did anything to Ruby and why is she so worried about Regina finding out what she did to Ruby? The first time you watch it, you think, oh, we're going to find out what that is through the flashbacks. But you're right. In retrospect, you're like, well, not really. My guess, and here I go defending the show again. <laughs> my guess is there was something cut that would make sense of that. Like Ruby announcing in some way that Zelina knows. Ruby saying, I'm going to get you. I'm I'm coming after you. Or you better run and hide, which I'm coming to get you. No, I'm going to get you is Selena's line. Yeah. <laughs> My pretty. <laughs> so most likely, I'm thinking something was cut. Okay. <laughs> you think that. <laughs> Across town, Rumple and Belle are arguing. and As they do. One of the things I should, I think they should have been arguing about is, no, this wasn't a loophole. Hades did not find a loophole. Bell, you never agree to Hades' contract. There is no loophole in that. You, my friend, are the weakest link, the loophole. You are the reason why your baby still belongs to Hades, because you didn't agree to that contract. That is one of the most harsh things I've ever heard anyone say. (laughs) You are the reason your baby belongs to Hades. (laughs) Um, Wow, that does sound bad. This scene just... I... I think I probably said on Sunday in the initial reactions podcast a lot of how I felt about this scene. But here again, it's it's the Cruella syndrome. Bell's going on and on about in a moment I could have shown him mercy and condemning his soul and and darkening hers. And it's just, you know, Bell, it was an accident. And even if it wasn't, I, I mean, I didn't get the sense when I saw it happen that she meant for him to fall all the way in. Mm-hmm. And even if she did, he was about to do the same thing to someone that she was defending. She gave them both a chance to not hurt the other. And the one who struck first, she stopped. And I and she didn't mean to. It just, it was reflex even. I just don't think that any of these thoughts, <laughs> I mean, maybe they're natural to some degree, but I'm not even sure this is where, I mean, I hope this isn't how I would feel if I accidentally... hurt somebody defending somebody else and trying to get everyone to just stop hurting each other. It means your heart has turned to darkness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It just, it was even less on purpose than what Emma did to Cruella. And I just, I'm just not seeing it. So I don't know. Yeah. The whole, I darkened my soul just to save you is such a sad line 
And between this one that Belle gave and then at the very end of the episode, Rumple says something like, do you think I would give up my darkness or my power just to wake you up? And I'm kind of sitting here watching this episode going, what are you doing to this ship? Stop it. Because those are not nice things to say when you're also trying to convince me that these two are still happily, well, okay, not happily, but agreeably married and still supposed to be true loves. Because last episode, Belle says that she and Rumple have to work together because she knows that Rumple will defend their child no matter what. And at the end of that episode, she says darkness will always win. And she seems to be coming around to the idea that there is gray in the world, that she can't have this black and white worldview. But now in this episode, we're just back to her wanting to work on her own and that, you know, it's it's this or it's that. And she has to make demands on him and he has to make demands on her. And it makes me sad what they've done to this little ship. Yeah. Hmm. Do you guys even root for Rumbell anymore? I'm, I'm genuinely asking people out there, do you still root for them in any meaningful way? It's tough because it was such a beautiful relationship at the beginning. Yes. But they've gone such through such horrible things. And I'm not saying like horrible as in the, the kinds of quote horrible unquote things that modern marriages go through. I mean, I've gone through hard things in my marriage and yes, it's good to go through and come out the other side and, and be at a better place. But with Rum Bell, it's completely different. Yeah. And it's that whole thing that tries to be relatable, but because of the nature of Rumple, it's not relatable because they keep changing the nature of what his character is. And really, they've kind of progressed to cut out some of the things that he's been in the middle, which there have been several. He's gone from this selfish man who took power partially with good intentions, although we've learned more, but this cursed man trying to be good and Belle loving the man behind the beast. And there were a lot of problems even in that. People had (laughs) a lot to say about the unhealthy aspects of their relationship even then and the things that he kept doing. And now they've gone to same old Rumple after all the growth, but now she's just supposed to accept the darkness. But not in a way that even seems like accepting flaws. It just feels worse to me. Yeah. And the way a marriage works, and here I'm the only married person on our staff of people with the podcast, but (laughs) so this is the lesson, this is the lesson I've learned in my own marriage that has made our marriage go from honeymoon phase to rough phase to wonderful phase is I have to learn to change and grow. And uh, my wife, Jenny, needs to learn to change and grow. And when we've learned to do that, we're both changing and growing. That's when marriage becomes wonderful. So any two people, regardless of compatibility things and stuff, Jenny and I are technically incompatible because we're both last borns in our family. And most people say, oh, last borns should never get married to each other. But we are last borns. We have incompatibilities and more and more show as time goes on. But the thing is, we learn to change and grow to become better people. And marriage makes people better people when you stick it through. But here in the Rumbell relationship, it's basically Rumpel saying, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to grow. You have to accept me with all of my nasty habits. And you will accept me because 
I'm who I am. And yeah. there's a difference between I am not perfect and I'm probably always going to cause you pain at sometimes as people do, but I don't want to. Yeah. And I hope you'll forgive me. And you know what? I'm done trying. I'm just, this is who I am. Deal with it. You love it like this. Like, really? <laughs> and there is always room for grace and forgiveness. So regardless of the crime, and I'm not saying uh, no consequences, because there can still be consequences even when you forgive. But what I would like to see is at some point Rumpel essentially repent and ask forgiveness and change and then I would, that's the relationship I would love to see. I don't want to see this whole thing of, I'm going to continue being dark and you like that. And yeah. so the honesty is refreshing. And I yeah. guess that's been a big part of what's been causing her pain. But yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, I would like to see them work it out, especially since they are actually married in yeah. the show. I mean, actually I, married. <laughs> so I want to see them make that marriage work. So that would be my answer to the question. I root for them, but not just as a relationship. I root for their character development yeah. and their relationship. Some actual development. Which is not going to work so well if Belle decides to keep doing things on her own. And self-harming. Yeah, that <laughs> hurt the situation a little bit. But I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> well, and speaking of self-harming, no, this is not a transition to <laughs> sponsors. We already <laughs> think them. <laughs> Goodness. I think the show is kind of harming itself in many ways because of <laughs> all of the new rules and things we're discovering. Like the next scene mm. is Ruby explains how she got to the underworld. A tracking spell? So it's not just the tracking spell led me. It's the tracking spell took her from one realm to another. Right. Since when does a tracking spell actually take someone? And deposit you in another realm. And not just another realm, but the underworld, which technically isn't a realm you can travel to. Right. By the way. <laughs> so, I mean, all the stuff with Rumpel's blood and blah, blah, blah. Well, Okay. I mean, All we needed was a tracking spell. Yeah. Well, maybe it only works on the living. So. Exactly. That could be the loophole there. So first the living had to, and she didn't mean to go to the underworld. That's just where it took her and then made her an out of control, supersonic speed traveling wolf that would kill Snow White, uh, which I also don't understand. There was no explanation as to why she was so out of control and unless, so fast. Unless it was just a big hug and we didn't get to see Aww. the hug aspect. Yeah, of Emma freaked everybody out for nothing. It was just, oh, I'm so happy to see you, which is only her voice. <laughs> no, as dogs do. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it's only her voice in, in wolf form. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a long time and I love you. Or, I've just met you and I love you. <laughs> Cruella and Claude are destroying the phone booth. And I wondered, is that the Claude that Hook killed? Remember, back in season two, Claude was the body that Hook used to get to Wonderland to be able to bring Cora back. You know, an exchange there since two people in, two people out. That was the hats rules. Oh, Claude. Yeah, and Claude was the guard that Hook killed on his way to Bell's cell. What's his unfinished business? <laughs> Probably guarding Bell. 
I'm supposed to be guarding Belle and you put a hook in my neck. Or Claude. I don't know if it's the same Claude, but that's the only other Claude we've had. And we never really got a that good of a look at Claude. I know there was some episode somewhere and we could probably look it up, but uh, I'll just pretend that's the same Claude that hook Claude. Oh. Those wondering, it's episode 209, Queen of Hearts. Ha- hashtag hire the nerd. <laughs> That's great. Jacqueline, you're amazing. He was also referenced in 211, The Outsider. Uh, I I liked this scene in that we had already wondered aloud why this phone box is allowed to exist since it seems to give hope. I don't know why it took him so long, but I guess maybe people were hopeless anyway because they didn't know if it was working. Exactly. With Henry around, they know it works. So now it gives more hope than it did, at least if our heroes have told anyone, hey, our haunting totally worked. But uh, now it's being ripped out. Poor everybody. But at least Cruella did clarify that she gets all her orders from Hades. Yeah. So she's like Hades' bulldog now that his bulldog is dead. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much irony in that statement, actually. Yeah. I did quite enjoy Cruella's insults to the charming clan though she's so delightful when she's mean <laughs> like calling baby snowflake chisel chin jr <laughs> and the fact that they read him incredibly dull bedtime stories <laughs> does she listen to the hauntings probably she's got to find something to do down there creepy mayor who creeps it's like the old-fashioned phone lines where you could get on the line <laughs> and hear what someone else was talking about R- regina stops Zelina from trying to leave the underworld. And we hear that Zelina got the slippers from, well, from Ruby or from Dorothy. And that's how Zelina got to Storybrooke in the first case. We were wondering how that happened. Why no tornado? Why no big portal? Why anything like that? It was the slippers that got her there. At least that's an established means of transportation right i'm totally okay with that because the slippers are after all something that rumpelstiltskin wanted at one point to be able to travel to the land without magic go back to the episode the doctor for that conversation that rumpelstiltskin has with jefferson well regina and Zelina end up going inside Zelina's house and having some drinks and some honest conversation which I was relieved at this conversation because it ha- there was a break in between. And before the break, Zelina had been saying, wow, sometimes I'm just too clever because she thought Dorothy would be asleep forever. And I was like, don't be. I think I had written something down. I was making notes and I said something like, I guess this is the flip flop phase of redemption or something. Because, you know, for so long, Regina went back and forth and things like that. But. Regina clarified for Zelina that she wasn't really proud of what she did. She was just caught. And so she's inside sort of drowning her (laughs) sorrows over her life, basically. And she's drowning them in Moloch brand whiskey. (laughs) And Moloch appears frequently in the Old Testament. He's a Canaanite god of child sacrifice. The children were usually thrown into this fire pit and burned alive. I thought it was interesting because while Moloch isn't necessarily a Greek deity, in some Latin text, he is referenced as being likened to Cronus, who is 
Zeus and Hades's father that I've talked about before because he eats children. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so if you've ever wondered what that tastes like, then apparently that's the brand whiskey to get. But it's interesting that while they have this brand of whiskey already, McCutcheon, uh, that uh, they refer to frequently or have, right? they don't use the same thing down here in the underworld. Instead, this one, I, I think this is very fitting for the underworld where like the snacks on grannies are red hot peppers and the, the whiskey down here is the name of this considering the whiskey. horrible reminder. Considering the whiskey and the circumstances and who runs grannies, we should be happy that the snacks are peppers. True. Very true. And not... <laughs> you get chicken fingers in the overworld. <laughs> in the underworld, you get something else. <laughs> Frog legs? Baby legs? Oh, goodness. Gravy or butter. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. When they were in the graveyard, they mentioned something about Hades possibly making a move on Storybrooke. And I think that sounds like a cool thing. In fact, you know, I think that sounds like a really fun final battle between good and evil. <laughs> Someday, Daniel, you're actually going to be right on this. I'm looking for a final battle under every plot rock there is. See, I think the reality is that... That was just a vague, ambiguous thing, and it was probably the final battle for the end of the original curse. However, I think at some point they will call something flat out the final battle just to make everybody happy. And a very big, grand finale, which will be really cool. And speaking of finales, we are working on our plans for a finale party in the greater Cincinnati area. I'm a bit behind because of my business travel recently, but we'll try to get those details together as soon as possible. If you want to come, uh, for now, the best thing to do is email daniel at oncepodcast.com if you'd like to come to that finale party. So I'll definitely know who wants to show up for it and be able to give you details as soon as I know. And it's very understandable that Belle doesn't trust Rumple yet. I mean, good job, Belle. Yeah, you really can't trust him. I don't know if I can trust Rumple. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can trust Rumple. still... Again, ever. <laughs> but at the same time, this was my problem with this scene. So Belle can't trust the dark one, who happens to be her husband and her child's father. But she can trust Zelina, the woman who killed her husband's first child. But she doesn't trust Rumpel's dark magic, but she'll trust Zelina's dark magic. <laughs> Maybe I... Zelina's is green magic. Is that a thing? Is there green chocolate? Because apparently that's like <laughs> <is> chocolate. <laughs> oh, you're right. There's no green chocolate, at least. Andy's not normal. Mints. <gasps> Selena's magic is mint chocolate? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so we haven't done any Greek mythology this episode, really. So I thought I would bring this up. Zelina calls Hades the Lord of Death. This isn't strictly speaking true. Right. Hades is just the lord of the underworld. In Greek mythology, there is actually a god of death. His name is Thanatos, which also happens to just be the Greek word for death. He is the son of Nyx, night, and Erebos, darkness. And his twin brother is Hypnos, who is sleep. And he is generally depicted, when he's depicted, because it's not often, as carrying humans off to the underworld in their sleep. Mm. Oh, 
That's a good way to go. So don't be hypnotized. <laughs> what do you think of Hook and Charming's heart to heart? Chatting with the father in law. Well, sort of potential father in law. The if he is saved from the underworld and brought back to life, possible father in law, something like that. <laughs> I give some credit to Hook here. I do think it's about time that he sounded a little more grateful to everybody for what they're doing, especially since he put them in this situation. But he hasn't he hasn't acknowledged that last part. He does apologize to Charming, you know, for the fact that they're away from their son, that this is really difficult, that they may never get out. But he still doesn't say, and by the way, I'm really sorry that I tried to send you all down here in the first place. He doesn't apologize for killing Merlin. You know, it's just, I'm sorry this situation sucks, which props to him. I'm very glad he said something, but it's still that that next step he needs to take. Like he's always on the precipice of actual redemption or at least some sort of start of redemption. And then he just scurries back. Yeah. I mean, look how Belle feels for causing more suffering to someone already dead and in the underworld when he was about to do the same to somebody else. And yet Hook doesn't seem to he's got some remorse, but yeah. And Belle would be on that list. Did he actually apologize or did they simply acknowledge it? Back in the day. Between Hook and Bell? Yeah. Well, he gave a very half-hearted, kind of snarky apology in Quiet Minds 315, where Emma kind of glares at him, and he sort of does, sorry? (laughs) Which is all we've ever gotten. But, I mean, Bell seems to have accepted it, whether or not the audience should. (laughs) See, find a way to help Hook move on. That's what I'm, that's all I'm saying. Let's find a way to help Hook move on. (laughs) His story can be done. (laughs) Don't hate me. (laughs) Send hate mail, too. (laughs) I want the record to show that Jeremy said it, not me. (laughs) Yep, I'll let the record show that. I was starting to like him, but uh, no, some of these recent things, I'm just starting to remember who he is. (laughs) It's fun to see the blind witch in any episode. I do enjoy her. (laughs) And she's gotten more screen time this season than the original episode, I would think. Yeah. We get to see more of her personality, her witty lines, her jokes, her little pokes and jabs at the other (laughs) characters. Uh, Her comment about it's not your diner yet was interesting. Does that mean if Ruby dies and goes to the underworld, she gets the diner? Yeah. What happens when Granny dies? Does she take over Granny's? Probably. Yeah. Or maybe they get to work for Auntie Anne's. I'm sorry. I mean, Auntie M's. (laughs) Or you can't get a delicious pretzel. Not a sponsor, by the (laughs) way. Just good food. (laughs) Wow. So they use the water from the river to poison the soup? A little bit of a stretch, maybe? Yeah, exactly. They were trying to stretch the soup. That's what you do. <laughs> Dilute it with the... But see, this is what I mean. They need... The underworld needs a health inspector and sanitation control to make sure that this does not happen again. Yeah. Or they just need to, you know, defeat Hades and stuff. But it was a really neat thing to see. For, first of all, awesome special effect. But also really neat to see that done... When it's a very Wizard of Oz kind of thing. Like the sounds and the screams and stuff was very similar to 
the Wicked Witch. You know, I'm melting. Oh, what a world. What a world. What a girl. <laughs> Although I know Auntie M didn't say that, but that's essentially what was happening there. They melted Auntie M instead of the Wicked Witch. What in the world? I hadn't even thought of it like that. But I have to say, just with the line, all you need to do is blow a kiss into the bottle. It just had me thinking that this is a perfect example of how I feel it should go every single time they start running around, spouting off, yeah, 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 just do this and this and this and then this thing will happen and this. And they've got this whole magical theory with no experience or documentation to back up what they're doing. This all the MacGuffin chasing, <laughs> and but this time they're completely off base. I mean, I suppose <laughs> true love's whiff, as Manic had it in the chat, <laughs> might have worked if they'd wanted the plot to go that way. Obviously, it would have worked, but I think they were just <laughs> barking up the wrong tree, <laughs> couldn't resist. <laughs> this episode's just full of it. <laughs> Hades was full of disrespect, mopping her up with his foot, no less. He was full of awesome. He melted (laughs) an old lady, mopped her up with a dish rag, and then wrung her into a mason jar. We (laughs) need to keep him forever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you loved him for all of that. (laughs) But all of this to make a lesson of her. Mm -hmm. An effective lesson, I think. He put them all on the untouchables list. Mm-hmm. Don't deal with these heroes. And um, he did the villain thing and he expounded upon his reasons for what he was doing in this scene. And you need to remember that for later discussion in this episode. Hmm. Okay. I really liked the line, it's hard to be a savior when no one wants you to save them. I am really <laughs> hoping that before the end of this season... Hades and Emma really have some kind of big confrontation because how do you not have the savior go up against, yes, someone who is often conflated with the devil, you know, and I love these moments of antagonism between Hades and Emma because it just feels so weighted and cosmic. And the fact that I think he's right. How does she be a savior if, you know, people are kind of constantly telling her, no, don't save me. And now these people don't want to be saved by Emma because even an attempt to talk to her or be saved is going to render them into soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. And then we see Snow and Ruby get to have a heart-to-heart conversation. This was a really great scene, I think, because the writers remembered that Snow and Red have a lot of history. And it's been a while since these two have interacted on screen but when they do, you're instantly reminded of everything Snow White and Little Red Riding Hood went through, starting with Red Handed back in season one. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so happy that sometimes they bring up these very old relationships. Yeah, and I was glad they did because I couldn't place exactly where Snow was coming from because I basically, I think I still often see her as Mary Margaret, and I'd forgotten the history until she said it. And then, yeah, it all came back. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was appropriate that this conversation, the context happened between these two, because Little Red Riding Hood was really there for Snow when Snow White was struggling with her feelings for Charming, especially when Charming was about to marry Abigail. And, you know, Ruby's encouraging Snow, go after him. 
What did you think about this whole idea of changing the names? So David's name written in mm-hmm. instead of Snow's name. It's nonsense. <laughs> well, so it is true that the that his hook was enchanted because he was going to have trouble with the chisel, right? Okay, so this week, this was a big topic. <laughs> and credit to Matt, who went back and decided to watch all the scenes with this so that we could get clarification. But he said, Hook actually never said that Hades enchanted his hook to carve the names. He said that he enchanted my hand to carve these markings in the first place. Back in the episode Labor of Love, Hades shows the hook to Emma and drops it on the ground before leaving. This took place before Hades asked him to chisel names too. Hook continues to be hookless until Emma saves him in The Devil's Do. So I'm guessing Emma kept the hook and returned it to him. So I think the enchantment was done to Hook's hand, and that was what gave him the power to carve names rather than the chisel itself. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) But can it really work? Because remember, David and Snow share a heart. So technically, it shouldn't really work. Well, they clearly have soul on the mind and not heart. Yeah. Or I don't think Belle would have, in my opinion, accidentally said she darkened her soul, not her heart. Hmm. Yeah. True. And there's no better leader for Storybrooke than Snow White. And Regina goes, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Along with the Snow and David's names being swapped, David again brings up the idea that the rules down here are a life for a life. So how do you get Hook home? He's technically dead. Well, I have a theory. Yes, maybe they could come out of the well. (laughs) (laughs) This goodbye between Snow and Charming felt so big that I think they're going to kill Charming. And Charming will be the one. Either he'll die or he'll sacrifice himself so that Hook can return. So that his daughter can be with the man she loves. Look at a bunch of movies out there. Armageddon is one coming to mind where, spoiler, but it's an old movie, where (laughs) the father sacrifices his life so that this guy can go back and be with the son. It's the ultimate sign of acceptance and take care of my little girl for me and some of that stuff. And, And that happens in several movies. I feel like something like that is going to happen here in Once Upon a Time, that they are going to kill Charming. Because this goodbye was so emotional, so much wrapped in this. It seemed like such a big goodbye that I think it might be their last. And there was no statement of, I will always find you. Well, that jinxed the whole thing right there. It did. If they do that, I'll not be happy. Just saying. It was a really powerful goodbye. And I love that they reincorporated the snowing true love music back into that scene, which every time you hear it, you know, I'm instantly taken back to the final episode of season one. As they were preparing for departure, Regina asked them to look in on Roland, which at first I thought was touching. I can't decide if it's touching because she's sort of being a bit motherly to Roland or if it was just low budget because they didn't have Robin in the episode. (laughs) Well, Robin is in the woods hidden there with pistachio. Oh. Keeping Pistachio away from Hades. Oh. So I think that's why Robin wasn't there. 
Do they have diapers and things? <laughs> <laughs> they have big leaves. That's what they have. <laughs> well, one final note here about these tombstones. A couple of us wondered if Hook can now chisel new names onto the headstones in place of others. Why don't they just think of three really nasty villains and swap <laughs> them out? So I came up with Blackbeard, Bo Peep, and King George. You know, all of whom we don't really care about anyway, so let's just put them in the underworld. Here's what I think would be the reason. Okay. They, if they are in, well, they're represented somewhere in the underworld by their own grave markers already, whether they're intact or knocked over or cracked. And so it has to be someone who's living and technically does not have one whose name is on it. Because he also could have put his own name technically, except that he already has one because he's dead. Then does that mean there's a grave marker out there already for David Nolan? And Hades himself put the names of Regina, Emma, and Snow on there without them having a grave marker already. But he's Hades, and he can do that. Oh, right. Well, but they're, but that, that works, because they're alive. And they're in the underworld. So he could, yes. So he could make one for them, because they didn't already have another one. Right. It's not like Hades can bring someone to the underworld by writing their name on a tombstone, and then they show up in the underworld. Because then he could have done that a bunch of times in order to get people down there. Right. He could have written Selena's name on one. And speaking of Azelina and Hades, they have drinks together, and they they mentioned the sleeping curse. They have drinks together, and I'm glad he didn't accidentally open the mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, wrong one. <laughs> no, I'm a little conflicted about this sleeping curse in the first place. Snow had to choose to eat the apple. Rumple told David it had to be willingly taken, and we don't really know about Aurora. But we do know Aurora. Oh, wait a minute. Do we know? We do. In season two, she told us, well, told us by telling Philip and Mulan that she deliberately took the sleeping curse to protect her people. But in season four, Enter the Dragon, she doesn't take it willingly at all. Like it's forced upon her or something. So retcon yeah. many of them because the same thing happened with Dorothy. That Zelina basically got the upper hand on her, pricked Dorothy's finger herself, and Dorothy was instantly put in a sleeping curse. Unless it was something, let's call it a deleted scene, where maybe Zelina was like, I'm going to kill all of the munchkins, all of the people who love you, unless you prick your finger on this. <laughs> that could be. You know, Zelina and Hades just really have such a weird relationship. Well, Because it's like, hey baby, I'm going to go kill a bunch of people for you. That's so heroic. <laughs> Thank you for the dead flowers earlier. Um, so this is where remembering everything he said at the diner, the other diner, is important. Because he talked a lot about how he couldn't have hope and how he needed to keep people from having hope and talking to them and all these things. He had all these reasons for why he did what he did. But what did he tell Selena? I did it all for you just because I know how much you hate Dorothy and I didn't want them to be able to wake Dorothy up. That's That was my only motivation. So he's lying to her and we watched it happen. 
Yeah, and Gareth Gray said, it is really hard to tell if they are really falling in love or if one or both of them is playing the other one. If they are really falling in love, their relationship is doomed to failure. Villains don't get happy endings. As hard as it is to believe, I think Zelina might be supporting the heroes, becoming a double agent. Although she did not seem confident when talking to Belle, she might be planning to try to get Hades to cancel the contract or at least change it. Perhaps Zelina is Hades' weakness in the sense that he will let his guard down around her and allow her to learn his true weakness. Mm. My note here. Mm -hmm. Remember Samson and Delilah? Uh Uh, Samson let his guard down and told Delilah his secret and allow her to learn his true weakness that she can then relay back to the heroes. Zelina's concern about disappointing Regina and not being able to see her baby could help explain her motivation in becoming a double agent. Not trusting Hades and wanting to get her baby away from him might also be part of it. If Hades is playing Zelina, it is probably to get her to kiss him and break the curse on his heart so that he can escape from the underworld with his power intact and allow him to go seek revenge on his brother Zeus. Ruby pointed out that true love is a two-way street. So for the curse to be broken, either Hades and Zelina must truly love each other or Hades needs to find a loophole, which he's been shown to be good at. Hmm. Thank you, Gareth Gray, for that great feedback. Yeah, I was going to say just what I said before. When Zelina suspected him of something very similar, I would think that would make it not true love if he's just using her to escape the underworld. So in that case, if it's not true love, then it can't work. So I don't know about that. But I wouldn't even be surprised to see him go so far as to be plotting revenge on Zelina. Hmm. Mm, see, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I don't think he necessarily True. has to either be in love or be plotting something. I think both are very possible. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in both this episode and in the episode Our Decay two weeks ago, the two couples that got these kind of big moments, these big conversations were Zadie's and Rumbell. I think the show is kind of deliberately setting them up as parallels yeah. at the moment. And for all the mistakes that Rumpel has made and all the bad he's done, I don't doubt that he does love Belle. I just think there's something else there. And I think the same might be true with Hades. I do think he's in love with Zelina. I do think he wants some kind of future with her. I don't think he's being 100% honest in the in any sort of you're enough for me. And I think that's what's going on with both of those couples that they have to give something up in order to find this true love and happiness. And the question is, can they? Yeah, I think that's a good observation. There do seem to be some parallels. It just, I'm not sure what the overall point will be in telling the story in parallel. <laughs> Well, I suspect that one couple will get that happily ever after and one couple won't. Mm. It's the here are the two paths before you. So let's explore what happens when one couple takes this path and the other couple takes path B, you know. And if I had to guess, I would say that Rumbell just being two main characters, two regular actors will probably end up with some sort of happily ever after. And Hades, just by Mm. virtue of being the arc villain won't so you know he might decide that his plot his desire for revenge on zeus 
is greater than the love he bears for Zelina, whereas Rumpel might decide the love I bear for Belle is more important than my dagger. I think you're right um, because of two things. Number one, if in this short story arc, Hades and Zelina both get <laughs> a redemption story and Rumpel stays like he is, there would probably be torches and pitchforks. Mm-hmm. And number two, in the scene that we're going to get to, as Belle puts herself under the sleeping curse, Rumpel blurted some words that were very, it was quite a leap in logic and felt honestly like an introduction of another uh, quest, I guess I'll say. <laughs> another goal, another thing that we're supposed to look for. Because he said something like, you expect me to, what did he say? Go to the light so I can wake you up? Just so I can wake you up. Just so yeah. I can wake you up. And my back of the mind reaction to that is sort of, whoever said anything about that? You guys have always had this true love thing going on, regardless of where you were with the Dark One stuff. So where did this sort of requirement come from? Well, let's jump to that to discuss that. I think that when what Bell could have said and what I was thinking, it could have been this beautiful moment of her saying, you will wake me because I have chosen to love you despite your flaws. <laughs> but instead, she's calling on dear old daddy. <laughs> yeah. When you put it like that, it's kind of like it's like the storybook slash Enchanted Forest way of going home to mother. Yeah. <laughs> Runs home to mama. It's like <laughs> she has a fight with her husband and she puts herself under a sleeping curse and says, my dad will wake me. I mean, it, I'm oversimplifying to be ridiculous, but <laughs> it, there was something kind of just ugly about the whole thing. And it is an ugly situation, but it just did not sit well with me. And do they not remember the burning red room? The burning so red is room. there now going to be a version of that for the baby? See, that's that's one of those sort of things where as long as they're going to deduce things about the effects of their magic, did she ever stop to think what the effects of a sleeping curse on the mother might be on the baby? Horrible what if, nightmares. What if what if it killed the baby? Yeah. What I mean, she doesn't know. She doesn't really know unless she managed to research it in the underworld version of the library. Which I don't know. She really doesn't seem to. And this was a point I brought up earlier. She got this from Zelina. She's just trusting in Zelina's curse, dark magic, that will solve her problems. This will somehow halt the growth of the baby, which, how is that going to affect the little child? Right. I mean, what if Rumpel and the other heroes can never, ever leave the Underbrook? What if they can never get her to Maurice? I Yeah, this is a painful scene. Yeah, what if... Hades, with his eyes and ears everywhere, figures out that another good way to hurt Rumple is to get rid of Maurice so that Belle can't wake up. You know, along with a lot of these questions, there was a really good sort of back and forth question going on at the forums. And I'm going to read this from AKA because I thought this was really spot on. I have a question. If Rumple wakes Belle up with True Love's Kiss, does that necessarily mean he has to give up his darkness? Can't he give her true love's kiss and wake her up from her curse while remaining the dark one? Are they saying he is not capable of true love because he is the dark one? 
Rumpel has tried True Love's Kiss a couple of times now on Belle with No Luck, season two in the hospital, and then the Lacey episodes, but I always thought that that was because Belle did not know who she was and therefore did not share True Love with Rumpel while having no memories of Belle. Side note, that is how it works because we saw it with Snow White and Prince Charming. At that time, it was not even mentioned that if he gave Belle True Love's Kiss, he would no longer be the Dark One. The other question would be, is the show saying that Belle no longer has True Love with Rumpel because he is now the Dark One again? I do not think True Love could come and go like this. Either you have it or you don't. Ooh. (laughs) I like that. I think what they're setting it up for is that it will be Rumpel. To wake her. Mm-hmm. Because I like the way that uh, Meredith put this. Meredith Pecta said, Bell said in season 5A that True Love's Kiss didn't work after that initial time because it was no longer a curse as long as they wanted. Bell knows that she can't have any future with Rumpel as the Dark One and that she needs to protect her baby. Bell will only awaken now if Rumpel is finally willing to choose her over his power. To wake her, he must become powerless. We both know that her father won't wake her up, and no one else has proven that they even care about Belle as a friend. It has to be Rumpel as a non-dark one. Mm. How does that fly in the face of what we saw in the episode Skin Deep? Because Belle attempted to kiss him then, and it did start to work. Remember, it's working. Kiss me again. Yeah, It's never been a problem that he's the dark one until season 3b and later when it it became such a a force just only for bad things she's supposed to love all of him even the parts of him that belong to the darkness it shouldn't she may not like it and he has to stop killing the peasants but (laughs) there's no reason why true love's kiss between them shouldn't work as is And I know there's a good discussion thread on this in the forums. And what are some of the highlights from that discussion is what the fans think. So Keb, who is one of our resident experts on Bell, and I asked a question at the top of this section on the present day, if anyone out there was still rooting for Rumbell. And if anyone is, it's Keb, bless her little soul. And she (laughs) said, this was a bad idea because it stops Bell's character development and screen time. And to be fair, Emily DeRaven, when they were filming this episode, is incredibly pregnant. Yeah. She she did need to take some maternity leave. I don't think this was the best way to do it, but to be fair to Emily. Um, so Keb also said they've set it up so both needed to bend to make this work. And now they're back to all or nothing for Rumpel. This is leading to exactly that choice. He'll have to choose Bell or Power once and for all. And while I'm excited about that, I think it's problematic that Belle is still making ultimatums and not growing as a person until she's woken up. Matt had kind of an interesting idea going along with what we were just talking about with True Love's Kiss, that Rumpel and the audience are assuming that he'll lose all his powers with True Love's Kiss, but what if that isn't necessarily the case? Another possibility is that instead of destroying the darkness and his powers, it converts the darkness into light. After all, we know that the Dark One's power is sourced from the Holy Grail, just like Merlin's. It was not darkness originally, but became darkness when Nimue crushed Vortigan's heart and tainted her magic. So maybe Rumble would become the Light One, as shown in Season 4's finale, and this could even, quote, cleave Matt, <laughs> him from the dagger. <laughs> 
the dark one willingly ready to lose his powers to save their loved ones could be the ultimate test of selflessness. I like that theory a lot. And it would be much more in keeping with all the things that they've established through the seasons. By the way, speaking of things being established, while you guys were talking, I did a little quick search on IMDb. Claude is the same Claude. (laughs) That is Claude. It's acted by Paul Lazenby, and he was in Queen of Hearts, The Outsider, and Ruby Slippers. (laughs) That's a great... (laughs) So they know Claude's timeline. At least we can rest easy knowing that. (laughs) Yeah. But bringing this back now, Ruby crosses realms thanks to the slippers and some of our heroes get to go back to Storybrooke and then or onto Oz, whatever style they go. One thing that kind of struck me in all of this (laughs) is uh, there was one other possible person (laughs) who could have given Dorothy true love's kiss. I know. (laughs) Not the love of the people. But who else? Dorothy said, there's only one person, there's only one who understands me, who's been there for me this whole time. Toto! (laughs) Why didn't they just take Toto up to her lips and, you know, true love's kiss from Toto? (laughs) It felt, it like I said in the initial reaction, it felt like they were going to go that way or try that at one point. I think that would have been way too much of a stretch for the true love thing because we've seen true love expanded and defined in all kinds of ways true love can be shared between a human and their pet well here's the thing it's almost like they had been writing an alternate ending or something weird like that because they really went out of their way to talk about how important toto was and then they started just trying to bottle a blown kiss and i thought well Toto's not looking so ridiculous anymore. <laughs> I didn't think that was the way they were going. I didn't think either of those things were the way they were going, but it. <laughs> well, when you compare the two. <laughs> not necessarily the Toto idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had an alternate ending for this episode in mind because of how controversial this episode is. So maybe they even have other recorded material that they were thinking. We might go one direction or we might go a different direction. Uh, Well, I don't know about that, but (laughs) you never know. Now, if you want to really dig into discussing the relationship between Ruby and Dorothy, since we're keeping that to a minimum here in the podcast, we've got a forum for that. And you're welcome to continue that discussion there in the forum. Just please be respectful to each other. I really think Jeremy, in a very short sentence, said it right in the initial reactions, uh, whereas it took me two pages to say what I was thinking. Um, But please remember to be respectful to others and treat each other as humans and show, this will sound weird, but show love for each other in your conversations with each other. But we do have a thread in the forums where you can discuss this relationship in much more detail if you'd like to. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 244. I want to remind you of a way that you can support the podcast right now, if you'd like to still, is to nominate us in the podcast awards. It's not only once podcast, but two of our other popular podcasts, we'd also like to see nominated in the awards. This may be the last year we try for these awards, but this also could be our best chance this year because of 
uh, new rules in the awards and the fact that the previous winner can't win again this year. So that might level the playing field a little bit for us. So is this the listeners giving us our best chance like Snow and Charming or is this giving <laughs> us giving ourselves our best chance like Cora? I think it's everybody giving everybody else their best chance. Oh, that's so nice. So if you would like to give our podcast its best <laughs> chance, then please go to noodle.mx slash podcast awards. It's not a video this time. It's just simple text. It's really simple. It takes fewer than two minutes to do this at most really may take even less than a single minute to do this. Just nominate our podcast, one's podcast, as well as only two of our other podcasts, the Productive Woman and the Audacity to Podcast, and it needs to go in certain categories. And you just simply copy and paste the text from that page, noodle.mx slash podcast awards, paste it into the appropriate fields, complete the form, submit it. That's all that you have to do to nominate us. Do that before May 1st to put your nomination in. You only have to do it once. And then later in May, we'll get to hear who the finalists are. And then that's when the daily voting will start. So if you want some reminders to vote for the podcast every day, and we'll be recommending some of our friends' podcasts as well, then please go to noodle.mx slash podcast awards. And every nomination and every vote really does matter. So don't feel like oh, my vote doesn't matter or my nomination doesn't matter. It does. It matters a lot. So if you'd like to support the podcast and what else we do on the network, go to noodle.mx slash podcast awards. This concludes our discussion of this episode, Ruby Slippers, but you're welcome to go to the show notes and continue the conversation there or in the forums. Just please do remember to be respectful to the others there. And if you want to discuss what I shared at the beginning of this episode, then please email me directly, daniel at oncepodcast.com. Please share this episode out with your friends. That's the best way that you can support the podcast. I know this is maybe not the ideal one because (laughs) of so much controversy, but if you'd like to share this episode or comment on the show notes or get these links and images that we mentioned, then go to the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 244. We'd love to connect with you on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers who help us episode after episode. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Although if you're one of our heroes on Patreon, then you got to hear the spoilers days before we recorded and published our podcast episode. Also, thanks to Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums. Thanks to Kev for managing and masterminding our timeline. Thanks to Jenny for managing our Patreon bonuses for our heroes. And thanks to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, remember, just because you made one bad move, or 30, doesn't mean you can't make a good one now. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.
Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero to the podcast too and get access to cool things like bloopers and our spoilers ahead of time and more, go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 519, Sisters. Now that Hades and Zelina are reunited, Hades tells Zelina that he wants a future with her outside of the underworld. All she needs to do is heal his heart with true love's kiss so they can leave the underworld and trap the heroes there for eternity. When Regina overhears this plan, she enlists Chorus help to find a way to separate Zelina from Hades. However, Cora reveals a family secret that could change Regina and Zelina's lives forever. Meanwhile, David finally meets James, only to realize that his twin is determined to seek revenge on him for stealing the life he could have had. Wow. Okay. A lot going on this episode. It's written by David H. Goodman and Bridget Hales and directed by Romeo Tyrone. And we do have quite a number of guest stars. And surprises. And I like surprises. I do like surprises. The second one was the big one for me. Okay. We, of course, have Barbara Hershey returning as Cora. Uh-huh. We also have Robbie Kay coming back as Peter Pan. Yeah, because I never read anything about that in the synopsis. Yeah, so I'm guessing maybe Rumple and Peter are going to be dueling it out or something. Father-son moment. <laughs> moment. Bad moments, probably. Uh, Victoria Smurfit as Cruella DeVille. Tony Perez as the valet, who is also Henry Sr. Adrian Huff as the woodcutter. Ava Akers as young Regina. Isabella Blake Thomas as young Zelina, Romulod Hivert as the guard, and of course, Greg German as Hades. Yeah, lots of them this time. So this is a pretty interesting synopsis that we got because there's almost nothing in it about a flashback. Yeah. And we, of course, know that we are getting flashbacks because we have cast young Regina and young Zelina. So there's definitely something going on in the past. But whatever it is, they really don't want to spoil it. Right, and so I'm thinking it has something to do with um, the big secret Cora has. That's what I think. And a couple people at the forums think that the big secret is that Regina and Zelina met when they were young, and Cora took away the memories. Okay, sounds reasonable. <laughs> it, it sounds very Cora-like. Yes. So, and it would help move the story along. Be like, oh, we did know each other. Shocking. So we of course got a promo. Yes. A lot packed into this 30 seconds. A lot packed in. And the first three seconds of the promo are hilarious. Yes. <laughs> because Hades... so hard when I saw it the first time. I'm like, wait, no. what's going on? Oh, okay. <laughs> because Hades is like down on one knee. And he proposes to Zelina by asking her if she will make chaos with him. Yes. When I first looked at it, I'm like, what the? He's proposing. <laughs> oh, make chaos. Got it. <laughs> it's such a weird way to ask anybody to do anything. Yeah, especially the down on one knee part. Yeah, those two are a trip. And then somehow Hades gets Cruella's car. At least I think it's her car. It looks like her car. You only see a quick little flash of it from the mm-hmm. side. And Regina tries to talk Zelina out of being with a villain. And Zelina, of course, is like, I don't want to hear you pretending to care about me now. And that's when I think they're going to do a flashback and they're going to meet and... Stuff like that. Agreed. And Cora believes that Zelina is in more danger than they realize. Because Cora, of course, has had dealings with Hades. Right. 
she's been around him a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And then we do see the other sibling pair in this episode, which is James and David meeting on the street, and it looks like a fight breaks out. Yes, it looks like kind of fun. They're gonna yeah. like James is gonna try and beat up David. And then the last scene of the promo is really strange. James is holding a gun to Robin's face, who is in the woods with Emma. Yeah, that's that looks really interesting. And of course, we've been spoiling for a while now that we're pretty sure Robin Hood's going to die. But I don't think it's this episode. Everyone kind of thinks that it's either the last few moments of episode 20 or episode 21. So I think he makes it out of this situation. Okay, good. But yeah, it's like out of the blue, like because there was no mention of him at all in the synopsis. And so it must be just like a little filler scene. Yeah. And this is the first time we've seen Robin in two episodes. Yeah. And we got some photos. We got very few photos. We Yeah. They're really just stills of individual characters, Zelina, Regina, and Cora. And then there was one behind-the-scenes photo of a group shot of the three of them smiling and hugging. Yeah. So we got and, absolutely nothing from, my, from this. Yeah. And the stills look like it's probably just one scene. Yes. Um, and there are none of the flashback, which, again, like the synopsis, is kind of strange. So they are obviously trying to keep the flashback under wraps. Yeah. So we're going to learn something big. That's the only thing I can think of. I agree. But Zelina got rid of her hat. Not just made me happy. <laughs> the hat with the horrible feather. <laughs> there were like two feathers just stuck on the sides. Like they were glued on there with hot glue guns. So that's all we have for the next episode for you guys. But we do have a little bit of, well, I guess you could say it's information for the finale. It was presented as information for the finale, but it's not actually about the finale. And this comes from TV Guide. And the little snippet that they wrote says, The two-hour finale will bring the heroes' time in the underworld to an end, but will all of them make it back to Storybrooke? Hades and Zelina will make bold moves to have their happily ever after together, and Hades is bound and determined to keep as many fresh souls as he possibly can. The question is, can the evil power couple fend off a threatened Rumpelstiltskin? He is not likely to let them off lightly for trying to take his and Belle's unborn child. But this isn't actually the finale. <laughs> and we kind of already knew all that stuff. This is actually much more in reference to episode 520, Firebird, and then episode 21, Last Rites. Because we know that for the two-hour finale, most of it seems to take place in New York City and then in Storybrooke. Yes. And that they've come home from the underworld by the time we get to the two-hour finale. And it says that it's the finale. It says online that the finale is May 15th at 8 p.m., but we do know it's to be at 7 p.m. Yes, it is airing at 7 p.m. so that ABC can air all their Sunday night dramas. So make sure you guys readjust your DVRs if that's how you watch. Yes. So that's pretty much all we have this week. It's a very light week. We're getting to the end of the season. Yep. So I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers. Oh,